Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Avengers Infinity War in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. We have spent 10 years in the Marvel Cinematic Universe building to this moment. And that is the way that the film has been marketed. This is a long time coming. We have seen uh, the hints of Thanos and the Infinity War storyline for quite some time uh, since the first Avengers, which was six years ago. Uh, and, and so and and beyond, you know, we, we aren't this isn't something that just kind of came out of nowhere. This is something that we have seen uh, the the precursors for uh, for quite some time. And uh, like a good serialized um, story, it, for the most part, uh, fits cohesively in with the rest of the films around it. And I... I have a lot of thoughts, okay? I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this this film and this franchise. And, you know, I'm going to be comparing it to other films within its franchise to uh, sort of look at how other films tackled similar issues the same way or differently to better or worse effects. I'm going to com- be comparing this to other franchises that kind of also reached a pivotal point in their own trajectories, uh, similar to Infinity War. And... Uh, you know, I want to say before I really start getting into, you know, the pros and cons of this movie and, and what I really, where, where my opinion really lies, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, the single best aspect of, in my opinion, of this film is kind of not at all associated with the film itself, but rather with what it sets up going forward. And, the pro and then so you know that's there's there's kind of a problem within that aspect too but you know i whatever subtra- you know whatever negative things i say about this movie i am still incredibly excited for its own direct sequel so the next avengers movie coming out next year i am incredibly excited for ant-man and the wasp i'm really looking forward to captain marvel and this film only amplified those emotions okay so you know this isn't So whatever bad things I think about it, none of that detracts from my level of excitement about the MCU. Uh, And that is the best thing about it, you know? Like, that's, that's kind of what these movies are designed to do. They are put in here and sort of serve to us in a, in a way that allows us to eat and fill ourselves up and now look on to dessert. But the problem with that is that I don't think we've ever gotten dessert. We just continue to get this great entree that never pays off with a dessert. Hasn't yet, in my opinion. We're not there yet. We've come close, uh, but but we haven't quite reached that point. And that's a little frustrating, right? It's, it's a little frustrating that we're now... 18 films into this franchise uh we've been they've these films have broken box office records uh they infinity war has like has to have like the biggest budget for just cast that's ever existed 
I, I can't imagine it doesn't, you know, and, and these are people who have like two lines in the movie and yet are like A-list leading man, leading woman types. And in a movie this huge, this grand, they're still kind of pushed to the side, which, you know, is what serves the story in a lot of the situations. So, you know, it's fine. But this franchise doesn't doesn't satisfy and and you know how can it at least with infinity war when it's as as much as marketing tried to avoid this it's still part one of two yes the actual quote infinity war storyline is essentially wrapped up in this movie but it's still a part one of a greater story and that's uh, that i don't know it is what it is so um just to get this out of the way, I, I'm not going to do, like, that is, this is, this has been my non-spoiler section. There's going to be all spoilers the rest of the way, um, and that'll start after the bumper. Any path, so many worth exploring, just one would be so boring, and look what you're ignoring. I'm going to start by tackling this film scene by scene. So, uh, I've seen the movie five times at this point. I am going to be seeing it at least one more time uh, in IMAX for the first time over the weekend, which is which should be exciting. You know, uh, it, it's a it's a big bombastic film, and watching it with a crowd generally is better than not. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, that that should be a lot of fun. But uh, in the multiple times I've seen the film, I've been able to track down the individual segments of the film and and put them in order. So that I can kind of go through each one. And, you know, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues with this film was editing. You know, you have 40 some plus people who are very relevant to the story. And all of them need a moment or a line or an action to kind of, you know, give them their their due in, in the film at some point. And... Beyond that, you have to figure this out, edit this in a way where you're not spending, you know, an hour and a half away from Tony Stark, and, you know, all he has a ton of stuff in the beginning, ton of stuff in the end, and we don't even see him for the whole middle of the movie, and vice versa. We want, our, as, as the characters who survive and make it to the end of this film need to have momentum, and the film needs to be paced very well. It's a long movie, uh, two and a half hours long, and... You don't want it to drag, and you don't want it to be slow and boring, and I think to start that out on a positive note, the pacing in this movie is really strong. There's one side plot that I wasn't particularly fond of uh, that really slowed the film down for me, and that's everything involving uh, Peter Dinklage and forging the Stormbreaker. I wasn't a big fan of that. It seemed kind of... I don't know, way too side quest, side plotty, and, and I didn't fully buy into that. I thought it was a long, a lot of time spent on, on Rocket and Groot and Thor that I really wish they'd put it elsewhere. Uh, but, I mean, it is what we got, so we gotta, we gotta work through that. But, first scene, so opening scene in the film, Thanos, who is, in my opinion, the protagonist of the movie. This is his story. It is him going around to try to collect all the Infinity Stones, and it is the Avengers working against him. That is how the film seems to be presented, in my opinion, and uh, I, I think that's—I think that was the right decision. I think you want 
that you know we know all these other characters fairly well thanos is the one who we haven't seen much of he's the one who should get the bulk of the focus of the story and the plot and the backstory and the flashbacks and and, and, and you know the inner dialogue sort of stuff that's who we need to learn more about so we open on um thor's ship uh we get this distress call and uh thanos has pretty much decimated everything he has defeated thor before we even get to see him on screen and you know he gives his little monologue uh he's already got the power stone so he he, de- he destroys xandar and the nova Corps off screen before the film begins and he gets the power stone which i was kind of upset about at first but i'm okay with that now it is a lot of like gotta catch them all collect all these things and so many MacGuffins in this movie already that adding the power stone sequence would have been probably a bit much so i've moved past that i think that's perfectly fine and a decent decision to make um we watch as loki produces the um the tesseract uh the the space stone and thanos is attacked by hulk the only time we see actual hulk in the film and uh easily overpowers hulk and all he has is the power stone which to be fair is pretty much what the you know and as far as like hand-to-hand combat goes power stone's the only one you really need to to bolster yourself that way and uh, you know, I think, and it's my opinion, you know, had the fight between Thor and Hulk played out, Thor would have won. So, I would say Thor is the physically strongest member of the heroes at this point, and he already beat, and Thanos already beat him, so like, I didn't expect Hulk to have much of a chance either. Uh, it's still pretty shocking to see him defeated so easily. Uh, that's really something and from the beginning we already are establishing that thanos is the strongest villain any of these characters have ever come up against you know this is not killmonger this is not hella this is not ultron this is someone who is in a entirely different league an entirely different level than anyone else has ever faced and it's it's going to take every single person working together to stand a chance against him so from the first scene, like, I'm on board. Uh, you know, we get Loki trying to be a piece of shit. We get torturing Thor, which I love that ele- I love that scene. I don't know that I... I think without... I think, obviously, Thor Ragnarok helps us believe that Loki wouldn't sacrifice his brother to keep the Tesseract. And that's fine. I can get behind that. You know, Heimdall dies. That's really frustrating. Uh, but I think it had to happen. Um, Idris Elba got his moments in Ragnarok, and uh, he d- he still he still gets a moment here, despite getting like five total minutes, like being killed off five minutes into the movie. He's able to teleport Hulk away uh, to Earth, and uh, that's a very important and necessary thing. You know, it's something that defies Thanos. It's something that sets up, you know, at least having at least the Earth's heroes relatively be ready for him or at least understand like what's going on in the circumstances and the plot that's happening around them he kills loki he strangles the life out of loki and that was fun 
that was an exciting moment. Uh, you know, Loki has been in a lot of the, the these movies. He has played a pretty sizable role in a lot of these films, and I think we've I think Ragnarok really tied up his his arc quite well. And you know, for all of his trickster good goodness and hilarity, he is in in his heart and in his soul uh, uh, someone who wants to do right. We kind of see that, and he kind of gets that final moment, and Thanos kills him. So I, uh, Thanos kills him, and then just disappears. Takes the takes the space stone. He's got two Infinity Stones. Disappears. And I loved this opening scene. I think it's really good. It definitely establishes Thanos as like a huge badass, someone who can't really be teased and, and tricked into being defeated as Loki saw and suffered for. And we start with, we start off on a great note in this film, pretty much despair. And, you know, if Thor and Hulk and Loki cannot take on Thanos, what hope does the rest of the team have, right? Like, that is a huge issue because these are three of the strongest people, the most durable people who have survived and overcome plenty of incredible obstacles in their run through the MCU, and Thanos dispatches them like nothing. It, it wasn't even a fight. He's barely, you know, broke. didn't even break a sweat. So we're in some shit, all right? We're in some shit. Uh, Thanos sends all of the children of Thanos to Earth to get two of the Infinity Stones. Meanwhile, he goes off to do his own thing. And I like this. So I don't need Thanos to immediately go to Earth to get Vision Stone and to get um, the Time Stone. I mean, he, he... First of all, at this point, the Soul Stone's location is unknown. And obviously he trusts himself more than any of his children to determine its location and figure out where that is and uh he's kind of figured out that he knows that the collector has the reality stone and he's perfectly capable of taking care of that by himself so he goes off to nowhere to find the collector sends his people all to earth we then shift over to the sanctum where hulk lands uh, and is discovered by dr strange and wong and it's interesting. So here's where I start to have a couple of issues. Doctor Strange doesn't know who Thanos is, or at least doesn't recognize him by name. And I find that frustrating because uh, he has the Time Stone. He, you know, if he is that concerned about, uh, you know, just, just, the state of the world and the state of their reality and protecting it, defending it, it would stand to reason that, you know, he could just use it to look ahead and, and predict the, the possible um, dilemmas and, and threats that are going to appear and, and you know, uh, attempt to destroy or enslave or, or damage Earth in any possible way. I feel like he should have had some idea of who Thanos was, but fine. He doesn't. Um, we then get the opening title, Avengers Infinity War, and we get o we shift over to Tony Stark, talking to Pepper Potts. He's had this dream. He wants to have kids. He wants to retire, all this stuff. Didn't like this scene. Didn't think it needed to be in this movie. 
I think the outside of you, removing this scene, we totally have enough information that like Tony is kind of done with this shit. You know, he's had the same arc for like the last five movies he's been in, and I'm perfectly happy to say that he's he's trying to move past this. You know, obviously he tries. He wants to not need to be doing things. He wants to not need to be part of the Avengers. He's already taken a position and a role in the MCU where he's more of like an advisor than anything else. The problem is, as Iron Man, he is one of the strongest Avengers out there. You know, he, as we'll see later on in the film, you know, he goes toe-to-toe with Thanos and fares decently as a simple human. Quote-unquote simple uh, so that's a tough, tough line to walk, and this film doesn't really devote any time to any of the heroes as far as their character arcs, and this feels like a half-hearted attempt to predict Tony Stark's um, retirement, and I don't think we need it. I think everyone is kind of aware that he's going to get, tr- he's trying to get out of this game, and uh, this scene just felt really out of place in the rest, the context of the film. Strange shows up. Hulk's there with him, Bruce Banner now in human form, and uh, they they need Tony's help. So he goes back with them, and uh, cut to explaining the Infinity Stones. This is what's happening. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to do. We got to protect all these things. Where's Vision? I don't know where Vision is. Captain might, Captain America might know where Vision is. That makes no sense. Why would Captain? They don't explain this, but why would Captain America know where Vision is? Vision was on Tony's side of the fight in Civil War. Uh, even supposing that Scarlet Witch is, I don't know. They they leave a lot of details out of here. But even aside from that, I don't know why Doctor Strange couldn't find Vision with magic. I don't know why with all of Tony's high-tech giz- gadgets and gizmos, he still doesn't know where Vision is. That seems silly to me. I can't imagine he doesn't still keep tabs on him. But fine. Uh so before before he can call Rogers, before he can find him, we have um we have uh, Ebony Maw and Cull Obsidian show up. And they're here to get the time stone. Uh, the Avengers, nice, nice long tracking shot out of the, the Sanctum Sanctorum down the street, which I appreciated to face off against. Uh, so you've got Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Wong, and Bruce Banner, and Ebony Maw, Cole Obsidian on the other side. Cut to Peter Parker, who Spidey sense tingles. He sees the spaceship, gets the distraction, climbs out of the bus, putting on his mask, a lot of people probably saw him climb out of the bus and now know that Peter Parker, uh, not Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man, is uh, a kid, though. Which seems interesting. Um, so there's that. But he comes over to help. He leaves, his, he leaves his bus. He's on a field trip to MoMA. He comes over to help. Uh, and so they fight, right? And this is one of the fight scenes I really like in this movie. It tries to. It utilizes all of the characters' different strengths and weaknesses. It makes use of them. Uh, I like how a lot of these fights in this movie, typically, you know, you you're presented with something that seems straightforward. Uh, so, 
Uh, for example, when Cull Obsidian is jumping to destroy uh, Tony Stark, all of a sudden Wong makes a portal appear and he sends Cull Obsidian. Like, it, you don't even see Wong use the magic. You just see the magic happen. You don't see Tony, uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, jump in front of his fist. You just see the fist stop and then Tony, uh, Spider-Man's head peeks out. Uh, you don't see um, Ebony Maw throw the billboard at spider-man you just see it hit him you know i loved all of that i love the sequencing of it i love the sort of surprise element of things and how it never felt like a character was being wasted you know when somebody wasn't on screen i wasn't like well why aren't they helping because they have their own shit to deal with and you've gotta they, they the rousseau brothers have always in my opinion done a good job of choreographing action uh, for the most part you know there's going to be some lesser some, some not as great action in this movie, but I liked this moment. Uh, I think we got a really good taste of the strengths and weaknesses of a lot of these characters, and it's it's good. It's really exciting. It's really thrilling. We get we're jumping out of the gate of this movie fairly strong. I, I'm pretty on board with what's all that's going on, um, despite the like the Tony Stark pepper pot scene. I was I was a fan. I was on board. We get this whole fight scene. You know, we get Peter on the spaceship flying away. Tony Stark gets a spider, Iron Man, Iron Spider suit on him. Uh, so uh, you've got Spider Man stowing away on the ship. Iron Man makes it on the ship. Pepper is like, "Oh my gosh, Tony, come back! Don't do this!" And he's like, "I can't even hear you because I'm super far away." And he also loses Friday. Friday's gone too. So. Cut to Guardians. So we're about 28 minutes into the movie right now before we were introduced to Guardians of the Galaxy. They get their sweet intro music going and uh, they're dancing and uh, that's fun. You get Thor landing on the ship, um, which I think this was like a preview scene at like CinemaCon or, or Comic-Con way before the movie came out, way before there was a trailer. And so it's cool to see the Guardians meet Thor. Um, I think that as soon as... So Thor is as Guardian. And it's clearly apparent to some of the Guardians of the Galaxy that he is incredibly old, that he is incredibly strong, he has lived for some time, he has been destroyed physically in combat, by somebody, which he later, you know, he reveals to be Thanos, and these are the, really the only characters in the whole MCU that have had a run-in with Thanos in any real, like, capacity, and knew that that's what was happening before Infinity War starts. They dealt with Ronan, who was working for Thanos, uh, Gamora was, is Thanos's uh, adopted daughter, so they know who this guy is. And this is my this is where I start to have a lot of problems because for characters who know and recognize just how much of a threat Thanos is, uh, to learn that he has two infinity stones is a huge thing. And like no one can possibly understand this better than Gamora, right? She is part of that story. She was sent to try to find the soul stone. 
by Thanos, and she knows that his goal is to get all the stones and wipe out half the world. And as the person who knows this, we're not sure, you know, it's never made clear whether or not she's told the rest of the Guardians this these facts. Because So, you know, if she did, it happened off screen, we didn't see it. And at the end of the day, it never feels like these the characters, specifically the Guardians, who are admittedly the most comedic element of the MCU, but it never feels like they take this, like, super seriously. It's like, oh, well, we'll just go beat him up. Oh, well, you know, I'm going to pretend to be macho and manly because Thor is macho and manly and everyone seems to, like, love that. You know, I, I, dis- I dislike that so much. You know, I think the tone of this movie has to take, it had to take like another step or two or three into like darker, deeper, like uh, undertones than it ever does at any point. Because, uh, you know, obviously no one except Thor has, you know, quote unquote lived to like tell the tale of Thanos just yet. But Thor doesn't Thor's just like, oh, I need a passcode to get this pod. Oh, I gotta do this, that, the other. Oh, I'm gonna, like, talk to Quill and and tell him that he's mocking me. Uh, You know, these jokes keep happening, and they just feel so out of place. I just, I don't... There's there's definitely some good humor in this movie, even after this point. You know, I don't think they should have gotten rid of any humor. That that'd be ridiculous. You know, this is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the tone of the humor isn't well done, and I, I really have an issue with that going forward. So, we meet the Guardians. Thor and Rocket and Groot head out to uh, Nevadalar. 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 Um, the the giant dwarf forge to find a new weapon, a Thanos killing weapon, and everyone else, the rest of the Guardians, head off to nowhere to face down Thanos before he can get the Reality Stone. So I I like this split again. I don't like going to the forge. I I wish that Thor would have gone. I wish they had just all gone to nowhere. I wish that was what would happen. I would have loved to see that interaction on Nowhere, and I think it could have been far more exciting. And uh, we didn't need giant Peter Dinklage, in my opinion, unfortunately. I, I didn't... I wasn't a fan. Uh, so, they leave, and we skip over to Vision and Scarlet Witch, who are in Scotland. And they are furthering the relationship that seemed to have been built up in Civil War. Um, which I buy. I, I think that that's nice. They they work together. I know it's a comic book thing, and I get it. I buy it. I'm I'm good with it. They see that the destruction has happened in New York already, and all of a sudden they're set upon by. Oh man, I'm not gonna remember their names, am I? Uh, it's um, Carrie Coon plays one of them, Proxima Midnight, and Corvus Glaive. Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. So those two come in and immediately... So <laughs> I was under the impression after seeing Ultron and Civil War that Vision was like the most powerful being on Earth. It, it just 
seem to be the tr- the case. And yet he uh, Corvus Glaive sneaks up upon up on him and is able to stab him through the chest from behind. No warning. Uh, that comes out of nowhere. Uh, Scarlet Witch sort of patches him up and. Vision is then again overpowered by Corvus Glaive as they fight one-on-one. Meanwhile, Scarlet Witch, when given the chance, is able to take on Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight 2v1. And this is a thing that has constantly been at, at, at odds with itself, is the power discrepancy of all the people in the MCU. They try to put them on evil, even playing field. You know, they have to make Tony Stark and Captain America equal at some point in Civil War, so that when they fight, it's not an easy win. Uh, And they have to, you know, it it just frustrates me that they have to try to, like, dampen some of the power levels of some some people and amplify them of others, because, I don't know, I never buy for a single moment that Falcon and War Machine are, like, super important to the story. They're just not strong enough, right? Like, they're vastly inferior versions of Iron Man, and, you know, like, even Iron Man is, like, nothing compared to Thor. And so, like, the hierarchy constantly gets is in flux throughout all of these films. And, and that's really irritating to, to not have some sort of, like, okay, well, yeah, like, like or Star-Lord. Star-Lord, like, should, we'll get to that point, when, like, on Titan when Star-Lord and his, and Star-Lord and um, Mantis and Drax fight. Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and Spider-Man, because that makes no sense to me. But, whatever. Okay, so, Scarlet Witch is basically fighting evenly with Proxima and Corvus by herself. Vision is virtually useless in this fight. All of a sudden, we've got Captain America appears behind the subway train, behind the train. I don't know why Proxima Midnight throws her weapon at him. Her weapon seems to be the most most powerful part of her fighting. I don't know why she wants to get rid of it. Makes I don't know. That seems like a silly silly option. Um, anyway, Cap catches it, and all of a sudden we got Black Widow and Falcon, and the three of them are easily able to dis- defeat and disarm uh, Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight. They let them live. They teleport themselves away, taking the weapons with them, and uh, the day is saved. Great entrance from Cap, really fun, but not my favorite fight scene in this movie. I think, I don't know, it's really weird, and the problem is, Ebony Maw, I I get Ebony Maw's character. He's magic, he's terrifying, I think he's the best characterized of the children of Thanos in this movie. He seems incredibly powerful, and I get his deal. Call Obsidian is just a big Hulk character. Uh, he doesn't really say anything, but I understand, like, what he's trying to do. He's just a big guy. He's very strong, brute strength. Fine. Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight, I don't get their thing. Proxima Midnight is the female of the four, which isn't enough to, like, define that character. Uh, it shouldn't be, or at least shouldn't be. Corvus Glaive as well, I don't know what his thing is. Uh, Proxima Midnight seems to be, like, the de facto second command after Ebony Maul dies. As far as we see, like, the first scene in on um, the Asgardian ship, it feels like Ebony Maul is the one who's in control outside of, after, at least next to Thanos. Uh, so, 
if Proxima is the third in command, like that's not really a great position and doesn't tell me anything about her. I don't know what her skills are. You know, we'll see in a later fight she has that she's really not the most powerful person either. So, meanwhile, Corvus Glaive, I think his shtick is uh, sort of that he can, like, sneak around. He is able to go undetected by Vision and Scarlet Witch. In this fight, he later sneaks through Wakanda and is able to get around behind uh, all of the Wakandan forces to attack Vision that way. But we never see him do it. We don't know how he's quote-unquote sneaky. Uh, so if that is supposed to be his thing, we're not shown how that is. I don't know. He looks cool. They both look cool. But I don't know. I was all, I'm a big fan of Ebony Maul in this movie. He gets one of my favorite lines um, when he's talking to Doctor Strange. And he says, Ugh, paraphrasing, um, then I will pull it from your corpse. Love that line. Fantastic delivery. Big fan, big fan. Uh, so, Vision is safe, and the next scene we get is the flashback. So when Gamora's a kid and Thanos is at her planet, separating the entire planet randomly into two halves, uh, executing one side, and ultimately taking Gamora and showing her this little blade that's like perfectly balanced. And This is the start of, his, of, of explaining that he's affectionate for her, and doesn't ever prove to me that he loves her but I can see the start of his affections for her I don't fully understand like what caught his eye um, it's not like she was like punching at the guards or I don't know he calls her like super strong um, and says she's got like fight in her but I I don't know I it wasn't enough for me then we get Gamora uh, being in um Thanos' ship and talking to Thanos and he gives her you know they're in like this throne room and super underwhelming so like Thanos is often depicted in the comics as like sitting in his throne and even in the stingers we've seen that he's been in he was in his throne one at least in one of them and obviously that's not what this movie is about he's not just like he's actually out doing stuff in this movie but I was very underwhelmed by the throne. It wasn't imposing. You know, I compare this to something like the Red Room in The Last Jedi, which I thought was incredibly imposing, beautifully designed. Thanos uh, didn't get it. It wasn't super well designed. I didn't feel the power. You know, he's supposed to be this hulking behemoth of a titan. And... I think the movie goes out of its way to try and put him on the same playing field as everyone else. You know, I think the movie actively works against making him seem big and uh, making him seem imposing. Uh, you know, just which is I don't like that. I don't. You know, I think he should seem larger than life, and yet so many characters feel like they're on and even keel with him, and that doesn't make sense, um, so we get his, he, so he has this little conversation with Gamora, uh, and then we move, we skip over to Nowhere, so the Guardians are arriving at Nowhere, and, uh, they are expecting to find Thanos, maybe, uh, the Collector, the Reality Stone, and they kind of get in there, 
they see we see Thanos um, trying to find the location of the Reality Stone by like sort of knocking around the Collector, Benicio del Toro. You get that brief little cameo of the Blue Man, the Never Nude, from Arrested Development, which is a neat little Easter egg. And uh, things don't go as planned. We think Gamora. We, well, obviously, I don't think anyone ever thought Gamora killed Thanos. That is ridiculous. Uh, but we realize just how strong the Reality Stone is. Uh, this thing is insanely powerful. He convinces them that the entire planet, this entire place, is not on fire. <laughs> is not destroyed completely. Convinces them that they've killed him. Convinces them that the Collector is even there. All these things. And... Then he reveals that none of that is the case and uh, takes Gamora. Quill. Oh man. Um, talking about Gamora in the throne room. That I got that out of sequence. That was the scene I meant to be talking about was Gamora convincing Quill that he should kill her if he, she gets caught. My mistake, guys. Um, which is fine. Like. I was surprised. I'm surprised ultimately that so I mean I guess we can talk about this all together at this point now. I was surprised that uh that Quill actually pulled the trigger on it. Uh I think that was I, I obviously I think there's zero chance that he does it if he doesn't promise to do that to her beforehand. But I do think that I liked that he actually did that though. Um Unfortunately, the Reality Stone is just super powerful, turns his bullets into bubbles, turns his gun into bubbles, and nothing comes of it. It's not what happens. So, Thanos has Gamora. Uh, cutting back to the Gamora pleading with uh, Quill to kill her scene. So, this whole side comedy thing with, with Drax having been invisible was like ten times too long for me. Everything after an hour... I was not on board with. And I think, like, that's the third thing. Like, that is not the tone of this movie. That is not what it's supposed to be. At least everything after that. Like, he can give that one line, I'm fine with, but, like, then he continues to try to eat the thing, and a mantis comes in, and he's like, oh, I'm still moving too slowly for you to see me, and it's like all these, like, reaction looks and takes from everybody. That should have been in a Guardians movie, not in an Avengers Infinity War movie. My two cents. So, uh, Gamora's gone, she's taken. Cut to uh, War Machine, Rhodes, talking to uh, Ross about the criminals that are Captain America. This, again, felt like a scene I didn't need. I know that they're criminals. I, you know, we get that from Civil War. It's still there. And uh, then they walk in, and, and Ross is like, arrest them. And he's like, sure thing. And then he doesn't, because obviously he can't. Or wouldn't, but whatever. And uh, Bruce Banner is there. And here's here's another thing to sort of like tie this back to the very end of the New York fight that happens. Uh, Bruce Banner picks up the phone that Tony Stark drops that has Steve Rogers' phone number in it, and he's like, "I'm gonna make a call." So he's gonna call Rogers, and uh, presumably does, which is why, or you know, he does. Or why else would they say he doesn't? Why why would they say he does if he doesn't? And yet, still, Steve Rogers is surprised to see Bruce Banner there, despite they prob despite the fact that they probably talked on the phone already. You would expect, right? Uh, it's so strange to me. 
So I don't know that that felt out of place. Uh, then we get we get this awkward moment between um, um, Black Widow and Bruce Banner that kind of passes, and we get the conversation about killing Vision. Should we kill Vision to prevent Thanos from getting the Mind Stone? And we'll later see that it might not have even mattered if he ends up getting the Time Stone, because, like, that one's just... That's the one that really needs to be destroyed, honestly. But whether that's... You know, I, I don't know. That That's not how things worked out. Um, but this is, again, we're presenting our heroes with a dilemma. Sacrifice one person for the greater good. And again, just like Quill, he's like, I really don't want to do this. And Steve Rogers like, we don't make sacrifices. Uh, just like Loki did early on in the movie. This is a recurring theme. This is a big element to the movie. And again, me sitting here, I'm no, not at all a superhero. I've never had to consider putting one person's life against hundreds and thousands of millions. However, when you present somebody with the thought experiment, would you kill one person to save, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of the human population? I'm the person who says, no, I couldn't. And it's not because I don't think it's worth it mathematically and logically. It's just that I personally couldn't do the killing. That's my stance on those things. However, if it's somebody else doing the killing, totally they should because there's a 50% chance that that person dies anyway. So, you know, like nothing at this point in the movie has convinced me that anybody feels like they actually have a chance at defeating Thanos. I do, however, agree, like, sure, if you can find a way to destroy the stone without killing Vision, great. But we learn that it's not going to be easy to, to separate the two, that it's going to take a long time. And as soon as um, the children of Thanos arrive in Wakanda later on, I think that plan's out the window. I think you gotta scrap the whole save vision plan. I think that's the last point. You have the chance to do that. So they have this discussion and, and whatever. Cut to Wakanda. And we see Bucky chopping some wood, missing an arm. Black Panther presents him with his arm. They're gonna need him to help fight. Again, Bucky, very insignificant as far as I'm concerned in not just the MCU, but as far as fighting prowess, and as far as character. I don't like Bucky. I think he's the least exciting character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The only thing he, the only reason he matters is because Cap likes him, and I don't know why Cap likes him. He's a murderer who could potentially still turn on a dime, and, you know, with the right words said, I don't, I'm not a Bucky fan. Not a Bucky fan. But we got Bucky. He's enlisted. He's helping us out. Cool. Cut to spaceship. Doctor Strange. Time to rescue him. He's being uh, tortured by Ebony Maw pretty effectively, but um, isn't willing to bend, isn't willing to break. Uh, he's resolute in protecting the Time Stone. Uh, Iron Man and the Cape and Spider-Man are there to break him out. They develop a plan. They're going to Break, cut a hole in the side of the ship. It's going to suck out Ebony Maw and kill him. Um, side note, when Tony Stark first gets on the ship, he cuts a hole in the ship to get in. And we never see him seal that hole up. 
So now they're in space, and there's a hole in the ship already. Um, plot hole? Uh, so anyway, he cuts a hole in the ship, sucks out Ebony Maul, he's dead. Fairly unsanctimoniously, I, I was kind of frustrated that he doesn't get more to do. Because uh, I think he's the most compelling of the children of Thanos, and he gets killed so quickly. Spider-Man saves Doctor Strange from also being sucked out of the hole with his spider legs. And, um... Mission successful. They then debate whether or not to turn back. Uh, which, I have doubts that they could have actually turned back, given on how shitty they are at um, landing the ship. But, fine. If that was actually an option... I get what Tony Stark's argument is, like, we should take the fight to Thanos because he's not expecting it, and he's, uh, you know, why would, one, if they bring Thanos to Earth, it's just going to be more destruction on Earth, that's fine, uh, but, I don't know, if it has to happen, I don't know, I guess, like, that's where, it at, where we're at. So, he convinces Doctor Strange... Doctor Strange is like, if it comes up between you guys and the Infinity Stone, I'm choosing the Infinity Stone. Which, of course, is not going to be the case. But, that's where we're at with rescuing Doctor Strange. Cut to torturing Nebula. So we find out Nebula is being broke on to uh, Thanos' ship, tried to kill him, unsuccessful, now she's being tortured. We learn that Gamora knows the location of the Soul Stone, and within like a minute of torturing Nebula perfectly willing to give that information up after telling quill to kill her so he doesn't get the information she's not willing to let nebula die for this information uh even after even later when she tries to kill herself to prevent him from getting the stone she's incapable of doing that but that's not really her problem but like she could have tried she could just killed herself back on guardianship if that was the point so uh, all these point, all these instances where they could have saved themselves and they don't because they're silly and they're heroes who have to save everybody. Um, and in the process, they let everyone die. Nebula's tortured. We find out the location of the Soul Stone and Thanos and Gamora go to get it, go to retrieve it. Then cut back, cut to Rocket and Thanos and Groot. We learn that that, uh, not Thanos, Thor. We learned that Thor can speak Groot and took it as an elective on Asgard, which I like. I thought that was a good line. We get a nice heart to heart from Rocket and Thor, which is good. Like, that's what this movie should be. It should be darker, more depressing, um, more. It should feel more futile. Because every character who knows Thanos should know how futile it is. And. This is one of the moments where I think they really strike that tone well. You know, Thor talking about all the people that have died. Rocket saying, you know, I still have a lot left to lose. Uh, you know, I, I like these moments. I like that. Then we arrive on Nevadalar, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong. Uh, Nevadalar. Maybe I should... Pr- Nevadalar. That's, yeah, that's not right. Infinity War. Nevada, um, Dwarf Forge. Uh, 
doesn't tell me. Peter Dinklage's character is Eitri. But... Doesn't tell me the name of the place. Oh, Nidavellir. Nidavellir. That's close. Nevidalar, Nidavellir. Close. Nidavellir. Nidavellir. They get to Nidavellir. We get... Eitri, uh, who's played by Peter Dinklage. Again, I don't like any of this stuff. They're going to have to create a new weapon for Thor. Um, and it's a, it's another hammer. And it's an axe, hammer, whatever. And uh, he's got to power the star, so he and Rocket basically have to set about like turning on this forge and getting it to work. Okay. Cut to um, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange and uh, Spider-Man landing on Titan. Being attacked by Star-Lord... Drax and Mantis. This is not an even fight and should not be by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I don't know how it ends up as a somewhat even fight, even like at, at the standoff. It's not really an even fight, but you know, obviously, like Doctor Strange and, and Iron Man kind of have the upper hand over Peter Quill. They just can't do anything because of Spider Man. So I don't think that they're actually absolutely equal as presented but far like i don't understand like how star lord is on par with any of these guys he is vastly inferior to doctor strange and iron man and even spider-man in my opinion as far as power level so again kind of being a little really playing around with who's how strong people are in this they come to terms and realize oh we should be friends so that's, um, let me see, uh, da, 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 da. so yeah, so they, that's fine, and then they're like, okay, we gotta start, they gotta come up with a plan, Thanos is on its way, and there's some humor in this on Titan before Thanos gets there, again, I don't like, I don't think it makes sense, I don't think it fits the tone and mood, uh, when Drax and Mantis, like, don't even pay attention, don't call us plucky, we don't know what it means, I don't need all that. I don't want all that. No thanks. Uh, cut to Red Skull on Guarding the Soul Stone. Interesting little cameo here. Not played by Hugo Weaving, which is disappointing. But, like, Red, Red Skull was in the third event uh, MCU movie of all time, or fourth, maybe, in the first Captain America movie has been on this planet for 40, 50 some odd years, 70, 80, 90. Uh, and so I don't know why it was him. They kind of give us a throwaway like, oh, he was banished here for his greed or something like that. And now he has to shepherd people to a thing that he can no longer touch. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't enjoy any of, any of this at all. I think Red Skull shouldn't have even been in the movie. I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, but that's not really the point of the scene. The point is, Thanos is in love... Not in love, but loves Gamora. And is presented with a choice. He's either sacrificing her... He has to sacrifice her to get the Soul Stone. And he does. He kills her. Throws her off a cliff. She gets a good, good monologue. It's an okay scene. Uh, I don't like the way they treated her plummet to ground uh they don't show it they kind of fade to black and that was kind of uninspiring but they 
they do give her they give her this weight in Thanos's life that we I that I personally don't believe. I 100% do not believe it at all. Uh, you want to get me to believe it? I definitely think we needed a second flashback scene from like teenage Gamora or or younger or like older Gamora than when she first meets Thanos that shows him in loving her because I don't personally buy it. The other problem is, and this is more a problem with the character design for Thanos, uh, as far as like the the effects work goes. He doesn't have a lot of emotions on his face. He has like two expressions in the whole movie, and even when he starts to kind of starts to cry, his face looks exactly the same as it always does. Come on. So, but the point here is that Thanos is presented with the possibility of achieving his goal by sacrificing a loved one, which has been presented a lot of other times to a lot of heroes, and they can't do it. He does it, and his goal is reached. That is the point. You know, if you would just sacrifice the person or thing you love, you can accomplish your goals. That is the thing, that is what I glean from this movie. Uh, And, you know, barring what happens in the sequel, that is the message it comes away with saying, is that every other time when a character outside of Thanos is presented with sacrifice your loved one to achieve your goal, they do not sacrifice their loved one and ultimately do not achieve their goal. Thanos does it and it works. He is the one at the end of this movie sitting on a hillside watching the sunrise. It's that, it's that simple. And it makes sense. I don't for one second think that Thanos is insane. He's not insane. He is incredibly logical. He is very straightforward. He understands what's happening in front of him. He understands the the plight of all the people. And while I don't think killing out half of the universe is the easiest or best solution to solving the resource problem, uh, it is a solution. And maybe for Thanos, it is the easiest thing, you know. But, I don't know. I don't know. So, he kills Gamora. And a lot and so a lot of theories. Gamora's stuck in the Soul Stone. Gamora's going to come back. How can she be gone? She's part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm personally fine with Gamora being gone completely. I think Zoe Saldana is uh, MVP of this, this movie. She gives the best performance, hands down, in my opinion. And uh, I, I would say that if... I would be totally cool with her not coming back. I think you can easily slip Nebula into that role on the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, we lose a romantic connection between Quill and Gamora, but, I mean, these aren't romance movies. Uh, We don't need that, necessarily. So, cut to uh, Wakanda. We're on Wakanda, we get to Wakanda, and we gotta try to remove the stone out of Vision's forehead, and... It's going to take a long time. Shuri is super skilled, but even she can't do it very quickly. She has to remove every thread individually. Um, She gets a nice dig at Bruce Banner over that. Uh, Which, Bruce is super dopey in this movie. You could not convince me, based on this movie, that he is ever, or could ever, have been a doctor. And if... And so, like, my thought is that the whole point of this and his sort of characterization in this movie comes from how much time he has spent as Hulk, which is a lot. So, he spent two years as Hulk, 
in Ragnarok. And then at the end of Ragnarok, he becomes Hulk again, and he's like, look, there's a good chance I don't come out of it. And the only... And so, like, he, he ultimately does when he lands on Earth, but if... I mean, I guess, like, the whole thing could be that being Hulk so long kind of stunted his own mental capacities, that it kind of, like, ripped his brain apart in a way. Maybe that's the case. I don't see evidence of them using that as, like, the reasoning for it. And so him just being dopey, I don't know. Mark Ruffalo, easily my least favorite actor in this entire movie. I think he gives an awful performance, truly awful, and I didn't like any of his scenes any of them uh that said um they're all in wakanda they're gonna start try to save vision then uh corvus glaive and not corvus glaive um proxima midnight and cull obsidian arrive to do battle they unleash their faceless army of dog things alien dogs uh the wakanda energy shield holds up they pretty much kill themselves to try to form a small hole which they do and like some of them get through and then all the people are there and they start fighting and killing them but the dogs sort of start to circle around behind the energy shield so they ultimately have to open up a hole uh but before we get to that we have to go back to the forge we have to cut out of this of the actual excitement to go be bored at the forge in my opinion thor takes the full strength of a star and lives to tell the tale. Groot gets his only decent scene in this movie where he cuts off his arm to be the handle of the hammer. Uh, Stormbreaker. I wish Groot had more to do. Like, I don't know if he'll still be a teenager in the next movie he's in, but in the next Guardians, at least, he might be an adult again, but I was really disappointed with Groot in this movie and how little he was utilized. Um... So yeah, so the, anyway, we get that whole whole thing. The dogs started like killing themselves, attacking this barrier. Eventually, they open the barrier, and uh, they keep fighting. I don't know. That's it. Uh, there's some nice moments, um, but like this is not the action scene I'm, I'm excited about. It's just a lot of mindlessness, and it doesn't really amount to much beyond just like killing faceless creatures. Cut to uh, Star Thor. Um, he just kind of descends out of the air with Rocket and Groot and evens the playing field when things are kind of starting to overwhelm our heroes. And we get this crazy scene. Okay, absolutely crazy. Maybe the scene I have the most problems with in this movie. Captain America and Thor acknowledge each other, look at each other, and Captain America's like, got a haircut. And Thor looks back at him and he's like, I see you've uh, got the same facial hair as me. And then he's like, and this is my new friend, Tree. And Tree and Groot says, I am Groot. And Captain America says, I am Steve Rogers. What? So, like, they're in a fight for their lives. They are fighting up against the strongest foe they've ever faced. They were, before Thor gets there, everyone was being overwhelmed and close to losing this fight. Thor's arrival gives them, evens the playing field, and then all of a sudden they're all just going to stop to talk to each other for a minute? Who has time for that? I, I like, if you, if you live to see the end of this fight, you can introduce yourselves then. 
I, I just like why why do we need this scene? I didn't even find it particularly funny. Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. Um, Thor and Wakanda. Uh, da 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 da. Uh, then we go back to Titan. So we spent some time away from Titan. Quite some time away from Titan. Uh, but Thor Thanos lands on Titan. He's got four Infinity Stones, right? He's got power. He's got space. He's got reality and soul. We don't really know what the Soul Stone does. We've seen the reality and space and power stones used. They're very potent. We know that the Avengers on Titan and the Guardians have a plan. We don't know what that plan is. He walks through and meets up with Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange and Thanos have a small conversation. Thanos talks about his old home. Would have loved to see his the, a scene of another flashback here for Thanos where he's like trying to convince his people to kill everybody. Uh, would have loved to see just more characterization for Thanos. Um, you know, like what would that, I don't even know what that would look like trying to convince an entire population to kill half of its people. I would have loved to see that. We don't get that. We just get a brief like reality look back at what his planet used to see, what Titan used to look like. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, Iron Man, out of the sky, drops, like, a spaceship, I think. A piece of a spaceship on top of Thanos. Fight ensues. This is probably my favorite fight of the whole movie. Because there's no faceless character involved in this fight. It's incredibly well choreographed and well thought out. I buy how well choreographed it is because we know that Doctor Strange saw the future. And, uh, we get you know, constantly, we just constantly see people trying to prevent Thanos from being able to close his fist using the Infinity Stones, and it doesn't always work, they're not always fast enough, they can't always get there, but even when he does get to, you know, throw an entire asteroid at Iron Man, uh, or, or, you know, what this, that, and the other, um, it's not game-ending, it doesn't, destroy them the fight's not over they keep going nebula arrives uh, crashes into thanos and she's involved have to believe that uh dr strange knew she was coming and told everybody because no one really seems surprised to see her there and that's exciting um getting another character in and on this to the point where um well we before we get to the end of that fight we cut back to wakanda uh, they have this these new wheel things that enter the fight. I don't like those. I thought they were poorly designed. I didn't get their whole thing. But they force Scarlet Witch to come out of her hold. And she lands on the field where we get maybe the, one of the top two lines in the movie. Um, from Denai Gurira Okoye. Who says, who says something to the effect of like, Why was she up there this whole time? Perfect. Uh, and then you get the fight between Scarlet Witch and... Or, or, like, Scarlet Witch is being attacked. And then all of a sudden, Corvus Glaive attacks Vision from behind. Uh, Vision is on the run. Vision is trying to survive. People are trying to save Vision. All of a sudden, Scarlet Witch is being attacked. Uh, you get Proxima Midnight um, fighting with Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, and Denai Gurira. You get Hulkbuster, uh, Bruce Banner fighting um, Cull Obsidian. Which, so, this is going to be kind of a tangent, but Bruce Banner, as a human, 
is incredibly useless in a fight. Bruce Banner in a Hulkbuster suit, very useful in a fight. Not only useful, but defeats and kills one of Thanos' children, who Iron Man struggled to kill uh, with Spider-Man's help earlier in the movie. So, my point is, if Iron Man is so strong and so smart that he can that his suits are pilotable by anybody, I don't understand what sets anybody apart anymore. If anybody can jump in an Iron Man suit and go fight Thanos or go fight Cull Obsidian or whoever, what is the point of, you know, like, what what else do we need at that point? I, I, I need... I just, I need my characters and my heroes to have more identity than that. Even Spider-Man, like, is basically just an Iron Man at this point. And and that really bothers me because, like, why not give Black Widow an iron suit? Why not give, you know, uh, uh, Falcon is bas- basically has an iron suit already. He basically just uses technology to fight. Uh, same thing with War Machine. Give Bucky an iron suit. Give Captain America an iron suit. What is stopping him from doing that for everybody? And if at that point, everyone, with like very few exceptions, is going to be infinitely stronger than they used to be because they're in an iron suit. You know, Thor probably doesn't need it. Scarlet Witch could totally use it. Like, at least it would make her less squishy in a fight. Vision shouldn't have needed it, but like clearly in this movie, he's like absolutely worthless in a fight. So. I don't know, maybe he could have used it. I just, I don't know what makes sense there. You know, if he's going, if Iron Man's going to be that powerful and anyone can use an iron suit, kind of defeats the purpose of heroes having their own abilities, in my mind. I I think, and I think what the problem is, is that they shouldn't have made the Iron Man suit powerable without um, being connected to Tony. I think when they separated Tony from the suit itself and the power source, they made it too easy for anybody to just put on a suit. Because, like, we see Pepper Potts in Iron Man 3 wearing an Iron Man suit. Um, right? Or no, she's she's just, um, what's his name? I don't remember. I haven't seen Iron Man 3 in so long. Um, but, like, that's the thing. Like, we see... Because, like, when we see it in the first movie, in the first Iron Man, uh, when, um, Killian, Killian, sorry, I'm looking up the plot of, okay, no, yeah, she doesn't wear an Iron Man suit, but we look at the first Iron Man movie, we have, uh, who am I thinking of? Um, oh, I can see his face. Ebediah Stane. That's his name. In the Iron Monger. Anyway, he puts on a sort of fake Iron Man suit that works, but it's very, very different from what Tony's got going on. And that's how it should be, right? Like, it should be... Some, he should have a very... There should be a lot more difficulty required in, like, piloting an iron suit. Bruce Banner is able to do it, able catches on to the Hulkbuster in like 30 minutes. Um, 
Spider-Man even comments on how like intuitive the design of his spider suit is that Tony gives him. It just it seems like that's like just find like ten well-trained assassins and and fighters on the real world, give them iron suits. Boom, we now have ten Iron Men. What do you? What more do you need? Ten Iron Men. If they're all as powerful as Tony, fucking <laughs> like what? What more do you need? That would be enough. All right. So I have an issue with that. Cut back to Titan. Um, we get to the point where everybody's working perfectly together. Uh, you've got Spider-Man and uh, Star-Lord throws this like electric thingy. They're pulling on one arm of Thanos. Drax is holding one of his legs. Mantis is on his head, trying to like sub- sedate him. Uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man are pulling at the gauntlet. They are trying to pull the gauntlet off of him. He is overwhelmed. He is overpowered. You've got Doctor Strange there, Nebula. Things are working. This is successful. Things seem to be going well. And enter Star-Lord, who is an emotional little crybaby. And I don't... So if... If if Doctor Strange could see this playing out, if he... So if we're led to believe that Doctor Strange thinks that this is the only way things can... Be, we can be successful is by Star-Lord freaking out and punching Thanos to the point where this attack fails. How is it that if he tells Nebula to restrain him, or if he himself restrains Star-Lord, they don't succeed? We see them before that, right before Thanos wakes up, Spider-Man has the gauntlet off of his hand, gets it, success. If we buy, like, five more seconds, the gauntlet is completely detached from Thanos. He no longer has access to the Infinity Stones. And, like, now they are more than a match for him in combat. Like, I have to believe that. I I don't, like, that just seems so obvious to me. And I don't know why that's not a possibility. And perhaps that's a, like, it just... I get that like there's going to be a sequel and all will hopefully be explained then. But I find it very tough to believe that this particular instance isn't possibly has to be the only way to win. Right? Because it doesn't it doesn't seem sensible to me that half of the superheroes in the world will fare against an a fully powered Thanos better than all of the heroes against an underpowered Thanos. Like, the the math does not work out there. Same thing, uh, so when Iron Man gets stabbed, and in my opinion should have died, but didn't, um, Doctor Strange is like, I'll give you the Time Stone, because in his mind, we need Tony Stark. But if he doesn't give him the Time Stone, never gives him the Time Stone, I don't know if his magic goes away when he dies, so like the Time Stone just reveals itself if Thanos just kills him. But... If he can hide the time stone effectively, Thanos can never win, right? Like, even if everyone on Titan dies, if he doesn't get the time stone, he still shows up on Earth, he gets the mind stone, five of six. He's incredibly powerful, but I think that the 95% of our heroes that are still alive, well, maybe more like 85 to 90%, the 85% of our heroes that are still alive would have a better chance against Thanos with five Infinity Stones than half of our heroes against Thanos with all of the Infinity Stones. 
don't know. The math never seems to work out. Hope, hopefully the sequel will bear out like why these things had to absolutely happen the way that they did. But based on what I've seen in Infinity War, it doesn't make sense to me. I think there's a lot of gaps in this this logic. So Thanos gets the time stone. Five of six. He tell he says he needs one more. Star Lord attacks him. He teleports to Earth. Thanos is on Wakanda. All the heroes try to stop him. None of them succeed. I don't know why this scene was shot in slow motion. It didn't need to be. I think it only emphasizes how much work it is for Thanos to dispatch of them, in my opinion. Like, I think he should have been able to, one, teleport closer to the stone, or closer to vision. Two, easily get rid of every single living being in the vicinity with the reality stone, like that. And I don't know why, like, I don't know why he struggles to defeat Captain America. I get that that's a significant scene from the comic books, but I don't need it if it doesn't make sense, and in my opinion, it doesn't make sense. I don't know why Scarlet Witch is able to hold him off for so long. Um, my girlfriend suggested that it might be because if her powers are able to destroy an Infinity Stone, perhaps they're able to sort of counteract their abilities and like kind of mute them. Maybe. We're never shown that that's possible or that that like really is how it works in the movie at all so i don't know if i fully buy that theory anyway she holds him off long she destroys the mind stone we win right no because thanos has the time stone he turns back time this the stone heals itself he takes it out of vision's head kills vision um has all the stones thanos has all the stones end of the movie thor attacks him impales him in the chest with his big axe and thanos says you should have aimed for my head snaps his fingers kills everybody Another point of contention. Doctor Strange can make teleports and go anywhere he damn well pleases. If he sees the future, he can go to Thor and be like, hey, if you're going to attack Thanos, attack his head. Then Thanos admits that he should have attacked his head. Uh, canon. So if he had attacked his head, Thanos couldn't have snapped his fingers. Or attack his arm, cut off his arm, couldn't have snapped his fingers. I feel like there's so many ways that Doctor Strange could have given us the correct ending to this movie, or not necessarily the correct ending, but could have given us an ending to this movie where Thanos doesn't win, and the movie explicitly and specifically goes out of its way to avoid those possible endings, which is fine, because I like that half the people die, even if they're all going to come back, but if they're going to have to die, you got to do a little bit better with proving to me that that's the only way possible. Um... So, like, even if I know that Thanos could have not snapped his fingers by Thor cutting his arm off, don't give us a line of Thanos saying that exact thing. Don't show us Peter Quill, like, freaking out and waking Thanos up with Iron Man sitting there, like, stop, telling him to stop because they've almost got the gauntlets off. Uh, I don't know. I think those scenes could have still happened the way, like, similarly, maybe. Not necessarily the Star-Lord part, but, like, you could have totally had Thor attacking Thanos and Thanos just like kind of smiles and snaps his fingers. Like, I don't know. He doesn't need that line. Uh, you know, whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, snaps his fingers and we start dusting people. Uh, Bucky's the first one to go. We see T'Challa, uh, Falcon. Um, anyone who wasn't really an original Avenger goes. Everyone on Titan except for Iron Man and Nebula is gone. Um, we have... Uh, who else goes? Scarlet Witch is gone. Vision's already dead. Uh, a lot of people are gone. We're left with mostly just the core Avengers plus Nebula. And um, 
that's about it. Uh, Black Widow lives. Uh, so it's tough. It's a tough situation. Cut to Thanos at the end of the movie, relaxing, enjoying the sunset. Cool. Seems to be fully healed. He's satisfied. He won. He got what he needed. And uh, now he can retire. Awesome. Credits. End credit scene. Maria Hill and uh, Nick Fury driving. They learn about the bogeys over Wakanda. Uh, suddenly, the um, the uh, the car a car in front of them like crashes. They get out to check it. There's nobody in it. They watch. They turn around. There's a helicopter that crashes into a building. Nobody's in it. I like seeing this. I like this scene. I think it works. And. Uh, we get to see Maria Hill get dusted, unfortunately, and then Nick Fury rushes into his car, grabs a beeper, contacts Captain Marvel, before he too is also turned to dust. So, like I said at the onset, I love where this movie sets us up for going forward. I very much take issue with some of the, pro- the routes it takes to get us there. That all being said, I, as I mentioned, I've seen this movie five times. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it has some very glaring problems, uh, some that have continued to plague the MCU for quite some time. It's not a memorable theme, or it doesn't have memorable scores, which I, I've seen talked about multiple times, uh, again and again and again. Um, you know, we have all these problems, but this is a movie that combines over 40 characters from previous movies and manages to be cohesive like the story makes sense from a straightforward perspective and while I don't think Infinity War is quite the home run everyone wanted it to be uh, just the fact that it it gets on base at all is a feat in and of itself so um, you know It has more stakes than previous Marvel movies. Not quite enough stakes for me, personally. Um, I think that... I'm trying to think some of the other things I've talked about in relation to this movie. I feel like it's all I've talked about this whole weekend. Because the first time I saw it was on Saturday, and recording this on Thursday. I saw it twice on Sunday. I saw it twice on Tuesday? No. Once on Tuesday, once on Wednesday. And... I think the effects are pretty terrible at times. Just look at Bruce Banner in the Hulkbuster costume. Mark Ruffalo looks ridiculous. Uh, just absolutely absurd. Um, I think that uh, the film... So, like, here's the thing. Um, I heard somebody say... might have been James... Uh, no, I don't think so. Might have been James. I'm not sure. Somebody I, I heard talk about in, talking about Infinity War saying that it might have been the review I read even uh, that the fact that Thanos is the most well well fleshed out character in this movie is kind of like the icing on the cake. You know, he's an incredible villain, and for him to be a well defined villain is all the more uh, is all the better. And I don't disagree with that. I think the movie does a decent job of characterizing him as a good villain. Uh, I think Brolin's performance is good. I think the facial rec- composition of his character is problematic at times. 
But my issue is kind of the inverse of that. Because Thanos is the only character who goes through an arc in this movie. No one else changes. Uh, you know, it, it's it's frustrating that all these characters leave this movie the exact same place that they started it. Uh, dead or, or alive. And I get that they don't really have the time to devote to 40 characters having their own individual emotional arcs. But, like, even one of them, I don't know, like... Or even just them as a collective. If the movie is saying, as I think it is, that, you know, you can achieve your goals if you sacrifice the things you love, which is kind of a fucked up theme and message in this movie, uh, you know, why not show us that at the end? Because, e because like, it doesn't work for the Avengers, and even when Scarlet Witch finally does kill Vision by destroying the stone, although, obviously, she waits to the absolute last moment and, like, well beyond when she should have done it, but I, I think the problem is that, like, none of these characters feel like they've reached any new position. And that's kind of the problem with the Avengers movies as a whole. Uh, it's one of their bigger flaws. And I don't know. It's a movie that I feel rubbed me the wrong way more often than not. And that's frustrating. Now... Like I, I, I made a I left a review of this thing, um, on Letterboxd. Only really one review, uh, despite watching it five times. And someone commented um, about, the, you know, someone said like someone commented on it and enjoyed the what I wrote, which is great. But one of the things that I remarked on was that like, I do think that despite my lack of enthusiasm for this film uh, in and of itself, it really does set up great things for Ant-Man, Wasp, Captain Marvel, and Avengers 4. Uh, it really does give us that... Uh, hope, in my opinion. It's, it's not... I don't know. It's it's a it's a strange movie. It, it certainly is an achievement. It's a movie that has no right to ever exist. And so here's the thing: the tone this movie strikes when Thanos is like around. So this tone that I keep harping on that I think is, is insufficiently dark. Like look at Black Panther, which came out like three months ago, and successfully accomplishes this tone when Killmonger takes over. Everyone is freaking out. No one is excited by this. People are working against him constantly. Even the people underneath him hate the fact that he's there. Black Panther strikes a much better dark tone in it than Avengers Infinity War does. I really felt in Black Panther that, like, we were up a creek without a paddle. And I wanted to feel that way in Infinity War, and it doesn't come across strongly enough. Or look at something... The other comparison to make is something like Last Jedi. Both movies uh, are kind of hinging on... All, and I've read a couple of articles comparing the two already. But like both movies hinge on the wealth of knowledge that its viewers to bring, into them, bring in with them. And they have to sort of work with and against those preconceptions. 
to the best of their ability. And for, in, for Last Jedi, I felt, and I, I really enjoyed Last Jedi, I felt that the movie was able to take characters that we thought we understood, that we thought we knew where they were headed, and shove them off in a completely different direction and present them challenges that we weren't expecting, reveal things to be completely not what we thought they were, particularly like Ray's parents, um, the entire storyline for Poe. Uh, there are a lot of different subversions in Last Jedi that work for that film. Infinity War looks has those same moments and decides and, and doesn't take those same steps. It doesn't make those leaps and ultimately ends up with an ending that we know is going to be reversed. We know that the people who got dusted are coming back because we know that they're going to be in the next movies. We know that there's a Black Panther sequel working. We know there's a Spider-Man sequel in the works. We know there's another Guardians movie. And that is really problematic uh, for Marvel to work around. And uh, obviously, you know, the Rousseaus couldn't just kill off everybody they wanted to necessarily because they have to, like, get it okayed through Disney. And there are a lot of things that they have to, hoops they have to jump through as far as, like, future films are concerned. But I just feel like the movie doesn't exactly takes take risks i you know whether or not you went into this movie expecting thanos to get all the infinity stones i know i didn't but the fact that he does and he's able to kill half like i knew if if getting all the infinity stones is the goal at some point he has to achieve that goal because that's like the most overpowering moment in the movie is when oh crap he's the most powerful being in the world and he snapped his fingers and killed half of the half of half of everything, and that puts our heroes in the most dire position they could possibly be in. Except, we know that it's all going to be reversed, and I don't think anybody, like I think the people who react with disbelief at the end of the movie aren't in disbelief because everyone's dead. They're in disbelief that that this is where we chose to end the movie. No one doesn't expect to see T'Challa back in action. No one doesn't, you know, like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And so I think that the movie doesn't take enough risks in killing people prior to the dusting. Um, Vision uh, was pretty much gone. Heimdall's, uh, you know, relevance to the MCU has been dwindling already. Uh, Gamora was an interesting death, but... But we already have, like, there's already hints in this movie that she's inside the Soul Stone and is possibly going, and will likely come back anyway. And that just leaves Loki, who's dead in, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. And after that, there's not much more. So, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, this is, you know, I'm going to do a statistics episode for this movie. It's got a million people in it, so I kind of should and that's that's kind of what the point of this statistics episodes for are for but end of the day i gave this movie a big whopping 55 55 uh for compare for reference uh that puts it um makes it the worst avengers movie that puts it one spot in the mcu above the team daryl short film 
with uh, the Grandmaster. And one spot above, or one spot below, the Consultant, which is another one-shot. Um, if you're only comparing it to uh, actual films, like feature-length films, puts it in front of Iron Man 2, Incredible Hulk, and For the Dark World. So those are all worse than Infinity War. Puts it behind Guardians 2, the first one above it, as well as Thor, Spider-Man, Ultron, Iron Man 3, Captain America, all the rest. So I'm not the biggest fan. Again, it has plenty of highlights and, and strong points um, with that, within it. Some fantastic lines uh, that didn't feel cheap and that they cut into the action or or the tone like Rocket, you know, commenting on Stormbreaker like, that's a bit much. Or saying to Bucky, like, oh, I'll get that arm. Like, those fit. I liked Rocket. He does a good job in this movie uh, as much as I didn't like the whole side quest element. Um, calling Rocket Rabbit. I like that, too. Um, just referring to Doctor Strange and Wong as the wizards, I like because it's not like a joke. It's not something that's being, it's taking not taking time away from what's really happening to do it. Uh, I didn't like the Cauldron of the Cosmos lines. I, you know, I don't know why Tony Stark had to like start stretching his hamstrings up against it. It feels felt awkward. Um, trying to think, uh, what other jokes? that I, I liked or didn't like. I didn't like Tony telling uh, Spider-Man, like, no more pop culture references. I don't know, why? I didn't like Footloose is the greatest movie of all time. That exchange between Quill and Peter Man, and, and Peter Man, Spider-Man, I didn't find in funny. Um, let's see. I don't know. It... There are good ones. There are not so good ones. Squidward, I thought was funny. I like Squidward. The Squidward line was good. Um, what else happened? I'm trying to like, I feel like I'm looking in the same uh, lines. Uh, like I mentioned, the Denai Gurira line when Scarlet Witch enters, I thought that was good. I didn't like the Black Widow line of like that was disgusting. Eh. I'm sure Black Widow has been in a lot worse. Positions and dealt with a lot more disgusting things in her career. Oh, the um, War Machine convincing what was it, Bruce Banner to like bow when they entered Wakanda didn't do anything for me. Um, oh, also Nebula escapes. I think I don't think I took that down in my list. So Nebula escapes from Thanos' ship all of a sudden when the plot needed it to happen really i don't know all of, like it seems silly that she was finally able to get free right when we needed her to convenience um let's see what else what else what else everything between the guardians and thor when he first shows on the ship i like the mood it's trying to do there a little bit. I think like half of that should have been cut out though. Like it goes way too, goes on for way too long. It's way too, like the whole voice thing with Star Lord, I wasn't into. Um, I already mentioned the Drax joke that I was like, cut this off after like the first line. Um, 
But like, there's some subtle things that I really like. So like, when uh, Star Lord says, "Put your, put your um, game faces on," or like, your fighting faces on, you can see behind him, uh, 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 Mantis like bares her teeth, and like that was really funny. But it wasn't a joke. It didn't detract from anything else that was going on. It's just like a visual, physical humor moment. Like that was good. I liked that. Um. I don't know. Uh, as I said, I'm very mixed on the movie as a whole. I'm still super excited for the MCU. I'm always excited for the MCU. I love these characters interacting. Um, and I'm looking forward to more of it. So, this is my review of Avengers Infinity War. At me. Circle of Film on Twitter. If you disagree. I know a ton of people love this movie. It's one of the top 15 movies on IMDb of all time right now. It's got a 4.0 on, on Letterboxd. It's really highly rated. Everyone I know personally likes it more than I did. So <laughs> I get it. I'm not in the majority here. At me, Circle of Film. Or email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. Uh, check out the website, circleoffilm.com, for this, that, and the other stuff. Uh, or support the show, patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, stay tuned after the weekend for the statistics episode for Infinity War and uh, as always have a week so long farewell I'll be the same goodnight I know she'll never leave me even as she fades from Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.